0: to welcome you all out this morning. It's so good to see each and every one of you. If you would go ahead and be opening your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be reading from there in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. (coughs) While you turn there, I'd like to take a moment, as I've already said, to welcome you, but also talk about just how wonderful a day it is to be gathered together. We woke up this morning with the intention to wake up nice and early and not have to rush to get over here and that didn't happen, and, and uh, we, we were kind of behind the eight ball a little bit this morning getting ready, but as we uh, walked out to go to the car uh, on our way here, I looked outside and just saw how beautiful a day it was. The sun was shining, uh, uh, not a lot of atmosphere this morning, so the real, real bright blues coming through in the, uh, in the sky, and I thought, I want to take a picture of this. I really want to uh, get a picture of this and remember these views that we are blessed with here. So I got my camera out, or my phone, and I started walking up the driveway, and I noticed three deer outside, and I thought, wow, what about that, three deer? Uh, They weren't deer, they were coyotes, they were really big coyotes, which my oldest son does not care for too much. And and, uh, I kind of got a kick out of it, I I tried to run inside before we left and maybe get a shot at one of them, Uh, Holly thought somebody was dying, I was running through the house. I don't know what's going on with the speaker system, guys, but I might have to turn this off. when I came back out, the coyotes were gone, but I noticed something. For the last several weeks, our dog, when he hears these coyotes barking, he does not like it. He, he barks and barks and barks. Not a fan at all of the, uh, of the coyotes, and they're nowhere near our farm while this is going on. They're, they're on adjacent farms. They're over hills and, and far away, if you will, um, but uh, he doesn't like this at all. And so I turn around to see what he's doing in all this, and he is lying comfortably in his bed, resting his head, doesn't, uh, just oblivious to these coyotes who are a mere 100 yards away. And I got thinking, you know what? That's, that really describes us sometimes. We look at, at sin. We look at the, the things that are talked about in the Bible that we should abstain from, that we should run away from, and we, we are very nervous about those. We bark and we, we warn ourselves and others, but sometimes when it's right in our own front yards... We're not. We don't show the fear of it that we should. Sometimes when it's right face, faced in front of us, when it's something we're dealing with, we don't treat it with the with the uh, proper respect that we really should. We don't treat it with the fear that we should. And that's uh, you know introducing our, our lesson this morning. We we started not too long ago, just a couple Sundays ago, talking about these moral issues that confront Christians. We're going to continue on that topic this morning, talking about about sexual immorality, I think that's a great place to start when we look at moral issues of the day that certainly are confronting Christians. This is a moral issue that's faced by every Christian, and it's one that the Bible does have much to say about. We've already talked about 1 Thessalonians 4.3 in our scripture reading, but also in 1 Corinthians 6, and in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. This admonition to flee sexual immorality is just what we need today. We need to have these words close to us because sexual immorality, in fact, is very, very rampant in our culture. It's something that goes on all around us. When we look at morality and we see that it is loosely defined and then redefined to meet whatever agenda that is going on at that time, we see that many are encouraged to, in fact, engage in sinful behaviors. So those who follow Christ must have a clear understanding of sexual immorality. They must have a clear understanding of its dangers. And so I want to begin with, what is sexual immorality? Let's just look at a definition of sexual immorality. Well, the Greek word that, the, that is used in both of these passages for sexual immorality or for fornication is pornea. That's the name of the, of the Greek word, pornea. A lot of words that you can think of that come from this word uh, today that, that bring up uh, ideas of sin in our life today like porn or pornography. Uh, This is used generally to to refer to any sort of illicit sexual sin. It includes uh, many different forms. As I said, it is what's translated into sexual immorality, into fornication, but it's in very different forms of these things too. It includes things like adultery. It includes things like fornication, like homosexuality. It includes things like bestiality. These are all sorts of things that come with uh, the idea of pornea. These are things that are being talked about uh, in these passages. And the fact is, this isn't a problem that was just going on at that time. This isn't a problem that was just going on when the, when, the Bible, or when the books of the Bible were written. This is a problem that is going on now. But just to give us an idea of what was going on at that time, here's some quotes that I've found uh, that reflect the attitude of that, that Pornia had, this, how it was synonymous, really, with life in the first century. When we look at their attitudes towards adultery, I found a quote by a man of the name of Demosthenes. Demosthenes who was a Greek politician. He was a Greek, uh, great Greek orator. You might have heard of him in, in history class. He said, we keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for day-to-day needs of the bodies, but we have wives in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian of our home. Pretty, uh, it's a pretty dark view, if you will, of, of the relationship that a man and a wife should have, of the relationship of sex, uh, sexual relationships in the, in the human life, or their attitude towards divorce. This is by the man, uh, name of Seneca, a Roman Stoic philosopher. He said, Roman women were married to be divorced and were divorced to be married. Some of them distinguished the years not by the names of councils, but by the names of their husbands. Talking about how often, how rampant divorce was at that time, the attitude towards family by a man by the name of Suetonius, who was a Roman historian, He said Caligula. Caligula lived in incest with his sister Drusilla, and the lust of Nero did not even spare his mother Agrippina. Excuse me. So we see that that at that time, this idea of sexual immorality was very rampant, to include homosexuality, and some of the things that I found on that were not even worth repeating. But it does go to say, uh, this quote from Edward Gibbon says so much, of the first 15 emperors, Claudius was the only one whose taste in love was entirely correct. It goes in talking about how so many, even the highest influential, the, the emperors of this time, were given over to so many things that were sexually immoral. God's dis, dis, disdain for sexual morality is seeing the fact that there are seven different lists of evil in the writings of Paul, and in five of these lists include the, the phrase pornea in some form or another, sexual immorality, fornication, and of those five that it's in, it's always first. Passages like 1 Corinthians 5, 9-11, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, and 10, Galatians 5, 19-22, Ephesians 5, 3-5, through 5, and Colossians 3, 5. These five places all list fornication or sexual immorality at the very top of these lists of inherently evil things that Paul writes about. So it doesn't require much insight to see that pornea, sexual immorality, these things were something that were very serious. This was a big problem at that time, but it really doesn't require us to look very far to see. It's a very big problem for our time as well. Premarital sex has become rampant among many, and especially including teenagers. Adultery is considered inevitable, and even accepted by many. The whole Ashley Madison uh, scandal that's going on in the news right now. It is their own slogan, life's too short, have an affair, I believe was their slogan. We, we see that adultery is just considered something that's just part of everyday life. It's going to happen. Divorce has been made easy through no-fault laws. This is going back into the, the 50s and 60s. Families, families have been torn apart through adultery and divorce and incest. We hear of so many people who, who require so much counseling because of the damage that was done by their families. And homosexuality no longer is an alternative lifestyle. It's an acceptable lifestyle in the world's view. Pornea is thus a general term For just sexual immorality. Behavior between unmarried people that rightly belongs only to husbands and to wives. And there's so many prohibitions against sexual immorality that we can appreciate it when we start to understand the devastation that it causes. The devastation of sexual immorality. When we look at these things and what sexual immorality actually does, we see things like it destroys the body. It has a very real effect on the body through things like bacterial STDs. These are things like chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea. These are things that are really, really bad. They're really, really bad for the body, but they can be treated. There's treatments for these things, but there's not treatments for things like viral STDs, for things like herpes and hepatitis B and AIDS, things that once you have, they're incurable. They're things that you deal with for the rest of your life. And many people have learned the hard way. If you want to turn over to Proverbs 5, many people today have had to learn the hard way what what Solomon was warning about. In Proverbs 5, in verse 11 and 12, we read, And you mourn at last, when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. What was Solomon talking about in this passage? If we look back up, just a few, uh, a few passages back up and, and start in verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion. Your lips may keep knowledge. And the, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. He was talking about immorality. He was talking about people who were looking back on their lives and were saying, I wish I had listened to what they had said. I wish I had not engaged in in these acts of immorality because of what they had done, as it says in verse 11. Your flesh and your body are consumed. So we see that, that sexual immorality certainly destroys the body. But not only that, as we mentioned earlier, it destroys the home, it destroys relationships. Turn over to Matthew 19. In Matthew chapter 19 and in verse 4 through 6, we read about God's intended and intention for marriage. In verse four, He said, "And He answered and said to them, Have you not read that? Uh, have you not read that He who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate.' God intended marriages to be for life." He intended for marriages to last until death do us part, but marriages so often that are broken today, marriages that that end in divorce, they're so oftentimes lead people who are broken as well, children, mothers, fathers, husbands, wives who are broken so far sometimes even beyond repair. We see devastating things coming out of these situations, especially for children, children who are who are damaged. Long into adulthood, they're scarred. If you look at Malachi 2:16, the temptation, sometimes in these relationships, when things are going on like this, sometimes the temptation is for people to say, "This is between me and my spouse." Yes, it's hard, but we're the ones that are going to be hurt. That's not what Malachi six, uh, chapter two verse six tells us. Malachi chapter two, excuse me, verse 16, two verse 16. So, so the Lord of God the Lord God of Israel says that he that he hates divorce for it covers one's garments with violence says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed of your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So divorce is a violent thing. It doesn't just hurt the people involved it hurts the family members involved. it hurts the children who grow up and, and, and see their their what they should see is the closest relationship to something resembling God on this earth while they're younger children, they see that torn apart. They see that bickering. They see that fighting. And they see, they see the lack of love in a relationship. Same thing goes with people outside of the relationship. Maybe people that they held so close to, to their hearts. People that they looked up to. And they see those marriages broken down. They see the lack of commitment made and the futility um, of the marriage that God has instituted. There's the potential even for future marriages. Potential for future marriages that are lessened. Who wants a, a for lack of a better term, who wants damaged goods? Who wants damaged goods? Sexual immorality leads to that. Maybe it's a disease that was unwanted, but maybe it's mental issues that go through as well. The lack of trust, the damaging uh, effects that, that these things have. on on those to be able to trust others after this has happened. The next point is it also desolates the soul. Maybe worse than all. In fact, definitely worse than all. It will be hard to forgive oneself whenever whenever sexual immorality truly is understood in the correct light. There will be self-recrimination. Proverbs 5, again Solomon talks about this, warning us. In Proverbs chapter 5 and in verse 12. He says, And say how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. In verse 13, I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers. This is the sons that he was talking to in verse 1 saying this. I hated instruction. I wished I had listened. What they're doing is they're saying I'm blaming myself. This idea of self-recrimination is this idea of of self-damnation. Of looking at yourself and saying, I did this to myself. I wished I had listened. How, how much that can bring the soul down? How much that can depress a person to look back? And then your soul will be deprived even of good friends, good friends whose trust you violated. Look right over the next passage, uh, chapter verse chapter six and verse thirty. Reading thirty through thirty five. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found. He must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away for jealousy is the husband's fury. Therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give many gifts. What Solomon was warning here is the damages that sexual immorality does to our relationships. Certainly the relationships that you that a husband and wife might have. Or relationships that might be uh, from the trust that is violated there. But even relationships that we have outside of that. Our level of influence, it can be destroyed just through a few se- selfish acts of sexual immorality. And probably worse, uh, worse than all this. Worse than, than our blaming ourselves. Worse than our friends being... You know, leaving us and the trust being destroyed. Worse than all that is the fact that a life of sexual immorality is a life of no hope. First Corinthians six nine tells us this. In Galatians five, these were those those passages that talk so much about the evil, but especially Hebrews. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Hebrews 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge it kind of begins to see a little bit why Paul, why Paul wrote flee sexual immorality. He didn't write be careful of sexual immorality. He didn't say keep an eye out for sexual immorality. When it's far away, bark at it. He said when you see it, flee from it. Run from it. Don't have anything to do with it. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not something to just go, well, that's a danger, but I think I'm stronger. He said, get away from sexual immorality. And the reason to do so is so we might succeed in this life in hopes of of being a, a moral person in Christ's eyes. So how do we do that? How do we succeed in fleeing away from sexual immorality? Here's some thoughts regarding this idea of deterring sexual immorality in our life. the first one that i want to consider in in this idea of deterrence is to form proper discernment we need to remember god's will for each of us joseph understood this when he was thinking of god's will for for the person if you want to flip back over to genesis 39 for a second and just hold our places there cuz we will be back to that spot but in genesis chapter 39 we've just read recently in our in our Bible study, and our Bible reading that we we're doing. In verse 9, what was it he says? Uh, in verse 9 he says, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, speaking, speaking of his master's wife, says you have not kept anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Yes, it's true. This uh, this would have been a sin against his master's wife, but he recognized the real importance here. The real the discerning fact was this is against God's will for him. This is against is what God didn't want him to do. So likewise, Paul he teaches abstinence as God's will. In First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3, as we read, Abstain from sexual immorality. That is God's will for you, for your sanctification. Abstain from it. This idea of abstain, stay away. Do without So we would do well to remember that's God's will for you, but also that God has a will for our bodies. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, we probably know this passage so well, make our bodies as living sacrifices, holy to God. That's God's will for our body. As we talked about the other day, so oftentimes we don't want to sacrifice, we want to share. We want to set apart a little bit for God and a little bit for us. He's saying that's not what I intend for you to do. My will for your body is to make your body holy unto me, and you can't do that unless you do as 1 Corinthians 6 says, unless you are making it as a temple. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13, which says, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And continuing on in verse 14, it says, Then God raised up the Lord and also raised up His... Uh, raised us up by His power? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were brought, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God certainly has a plan for us. But He has a plan for the bodies that He has blessed us with. And He also asks us to be in control of our bodies. In First Thessalonians 4 and verse 4 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 4 through 8. Uh, which reads, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother. In this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. We are to be control of our body. A body given to holiness. A body given to honor. We do well to remember these two things. We also do well to remember the consequences. Consequences we've already talked about. Consequences like self-recrimination. This idea of of blaming yourself that we saw in Proverbs 5. Loss of friends, but especially the judgment. Judgment that comes against the impenetent. So we need to form this proper discernment in this topic. And then we need to do the next step. After we have formed this discernment, after we have realized when I, when I know this is going on, I'm going to bark about it. I'm going to, to, to yell about it. I'm going to tell others about it. I'm going to tell myself about it. When that has happened, we need to take the next step. And that's flee every opportunity of it. Again, as I said, if you stay in Genesis 39... Genesis 39, we're going to continue reading in there what happened next. In verse 10-12, through 12, we see Joseph's example. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her, to lie with her, to be with her, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Joseph literally fled sexual immorality he he ran away so fast that she was able to pull his garment off from him we do well to remember joseph's zeal in that he would not partake in sexual immorality likewise remember the wisdom of solomon in proverbs 5 proverbs 6 proverbs 7 these are all passages talking about solomon's admonitions solomon's advice to to those that to the young to say flee these things but especially when i want to Examine here is Timothy or Paul's admonition, excuse me. Paul's admonition to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to look in verse 22, where he said, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with these who call on the Lord, put out of a pure heart. We are to flee these things, but not just flee them, replace them with something else. They, they say one of the best things for breaking a habit is to replace a bad habit with another good habit. We probably all had to do that in some way. We probably all had to find something that we know is wrong, know is bad for us, but we are so so addicted to it or we are just so used to doing it that we have to find something to replace it. He was saying replace these youthful lusts. Replace them. With things like faith, like things like righteousness, love, peace. Let those fill those desires and not focus on the lust of the flesh, as he calls it in Romans 13. Romans 13 and verse 13 through 14. He says, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, and not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Don't give it the opportunity. Don't create opportunities for yourself. And after you've done these two things, after you've formed proper discernment, after you've you've made efforts to flee every opportunity, realize there's still more that you can do. And that is you can rely on the strength which God provides us. Forging ahead with strength from God. We see as in Christ we can do all things that God desires of us. We see this in Philippians 4.13. This passage is so oftentimes is misused. I can, I can climb a mountain because Christ is with me. I can, I can run a race because Christ is with me. I can run a race, but it's the race that God has called me to run. It's the race that stays away. The race that races away from sexual immorality. It's hard, but I can do it because Christ is helping me. Remember that you are united with Christ in baptism. So consider yourself dead to sin. Turn over to Romans 6. Romans 6 and and starting in verse 2, we'll go ahead and start in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we, sh- we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, and the body of sin might be done away, with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for, we who, for He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over Him, for the death that He died... He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Remember that we are dead to sin. Let's make sure that we are living a life that shows that. And by the Spirit, we've put to death the sinful deeds of the body. Look over just a little bit now in Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's important for us to remember that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God's instrumental agent to which He strengthens the Christian. Look over just real quick in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and starting in verse 16, we're going to read verse 16 then verse 20. In verse 16 it says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. And then in verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is that power that works in us? That power is the Spirit. The Spirit who is helping us, strengthening us so that we can do just that. So that we can turn sin and say, it's dead to me. It's not a part of me. I'm not living under that life anymore. I'm living a life to Christ. And how do we know if we are of the Spirit? One thing we can do is to remember in Galatians 5, it said the fruit of the Spirit, one of those fruits was self-control. Controlling even our own body, our, our lusts that our body has. And lastly, right here still in Ephesians, let's remember that we are also given tools. Ephesians 3 and verse 16 told us that that we have this tool through the Holy Spirit and in prayer. But also we have a tool that God has given us, and that's the Word of God. Look over in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Where we read, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Of God, Don't forget that we have that sword. Don't forget that we have that offense. That yes, we know that sexual immorality is wrong. And we're going to flee from it. And not only are we going to flee from it, but we have a weapon to guard ourselves against it and to fight off any temptation that comes from it. And that is that weapon is the Word of God. So in conclusion, to prevent the devastating effects of sexual immorality, we do need to remember God's will for us is to abstain from sexual immorality. Paul's admonition to us was to flee, to run away from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is so oftentimes taken so lightly when it is a very serious problem. A problem that can destroy our bodies. A problem that can destroy our homes. A problem that can destroy our soul. But forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness for those who have been caught up in sexual immorality is possible, but oftentimes physical consequences remain of that sin. So flee it. Take example from Joseph. Take the wisdom of Solomon. And if necessary, remember the penitence of David who was caught in sexual immorality. Who said, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. Remember that penitence. And let the words of Paul encourage us to abstain from sexual immorality, and to repent if need be. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed... But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I have to ask this morning have you been washed? Have you been sanctified? Have you been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus? Have you submitted your life to Him? Maybe you have. You've done that, you've already made that step, but you didn't completely die to sin. You didn't completely put off that old man. You let a little bit of that linger on. Maybe you decided instead of sacrificing my life to the Lord, I'm just going to share it with him. I'm going to hold on to a few of those things that I really liked from that old life. If that describes you this morning, or if you have any other need, I encourage you, don't wait. Christ stands ready, urging you to give Him an opportunity to forgive you, to give Him an opportunity to lighten the load of your life and to take that weight of the sinful life off your back to stand anew. If you've not yet come to the Lord, I encourage you today, if you have and there's something that has crept up in your life that you need to ask for forgiveness for, you want to ask for the prayers of the saints here and for our help, we are standing ready to do so, but we can't do so until you let us know that you need our help. If there's some way that we can assist you this morning, please come forward now as we stand and sing.